At Blue Shield of California Foundation, we work to end domestic violence by addressing its root causes, racism, gender, and economic inequity. This special podcast series explores what we can do in California to heal from and prevent domestic violence. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, you can find support at thehotline.org or call 1-800-799-7233. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Let's End Domestic Violence, Heal, Restore, Prevent. I'm journalist Bonnie Boswell. I'll be speaking with today's leading domestic violence prevention experts about how we can break the cycle and end domestic violence in California. Today on our first episode, Breaking the Cycle, I'll be speaking with Sonia Young-Adam, the CEO of the California Black Women's Health Project, and Vanessa Perez, Executive Director of Time for Change Foundation. Thank you, ladies, for being a part of this important conversation. I want to really start with asking you both, how did you happen to get into this space and do this work? What is your nexus with that? So maybe, Vanessa, we'll start with you. Hi, great. I grew up in the city of San Bernardino in a low-income home, very impoverished, and actually experienced domestic violence myself growing up. And so my whole idea was I always wanted to get out of San Bernardino. I happened to come across a flyer for an internship at Time for Change. So I decided to apply and I got accepted to the internship. I fell in love with the work that we did. And now I am the executive director. So it started 11 years ago as an, as an intern, and here we are today. Very good. Thank you so much. What about you, Sonia? How did you get to this? Well, similarly um, to Vanessa, I came into um, this work because of my own experiences um, as a childhood survivor of domestic and family violence and community violence. And I also have two brothers um, who, having experienced it, you know, among the three of us and in our years growing up, I often used to contemplate there was always support that seemed to be there for me, but there was very little support and care for them. I'm the person in the family who always says, okay, let's address the elephant in the room. Now that we're all 50 plus, discuss it frequently um, at different settings because of how it impacted our own lives, as well as what we see across our community and in, in our family, you know, continuously. We know that this is a situation that is prevalent and it's important for us to kind of be conscious of how do we talk to our own children about it? How do we continue to raise our own voices around it? And so I came into this work really from that experience. So we want to really start off also talking about what is domestic violence, because the more I thought about it, the more different explanations I had for it. And I want to know from you as a professional, you know, how do you define it or do you have borders? So Vanessa, let's start with you on that. Um, domestic violence can also be referred to as intimate partner violence. It can be defined as, you know, a pattern in any behavior in any relationship that is used to gain or maintain power over an intimate partner, right? It, it involves not only intimate relationships, it could be familial um, experiences as well. So any abuse that is physical, 
sexual, emotional, um, it can even be psychological or economical, right? Actions, threats, anything to influence another person, right? So essentially, you know, domestic violence is any form of abuse that can cause harm to another person, whether it be in an intimate partner relationship or even amongst family members. You know what? I, I won't even add anything to that because I think that it's um, it's well said, certainly, Vanessa, but I also think that we work so hard to define it, and yet there's so many complexities to it, even the way she described it. You can, you can thread that further and further, you know, from sort of each sentence that she said. So I, I think we stay there and we, we just continue to be sure that we're looking at violence as abuse. Exactly. Yes, I've been thinking about a lot myself since looking at this topic, and I was thinking about the verbal abuses that happen that are, quote, subtle, but not so subtle, right? And the messaging we get just as women, I would say, in one sense, but also the men get to a corollary of that. So there's this, you know, all these different variables and really affect how we think about ourselves, number one, and think about other people. One thing, Bonnie, I think I, I guess I guess I would probably add, because we talk about sort of the abuse and the power, but I think maybe we don't talk about the fear. So there's there's the, you know, the presence of of fear and anxiety and the stress that anytime you're in a relationship and there is the a level of fear and stress and anxiety, um, insecurity, um, you know, that is brought on by an ex- your, your presence with someone else. I think that that's a form of violence, a form of domestic violence. Yes, I hear you on that. And, you know, again, this intergenerational approach that people are beginning to take now and having more of, and both of you have had that personal experience and what that means and how you actually are able to address it within a family is very, I don't even know, I'm just trying to think about how one even begins that process, uh, because I think probably there's a lot of self-editing. If you're in a family, there's use of things happening. You may not want to rock the boat. I mean, how often does that come up in terms of the intergenerational conversation about how does one feel safe to talk about it? Um, in a family environment or even in an intimate partner environment scenario, you're looking at this historical and contemporary conditions that are impacting you know, what is happening in our relationships. And I'm going to speak more specifically in Black communities across the nation in California. And I sometimes say particularly urban Black communities um, where you see historical long-term disparities across so many issues. I mean, everything. I mean, it's like you can just sort of stack them high. And the challenges and the experiences of violence, personal violence um, in our communities is connected. It's intersected with sort of all of the other challenges and the economic challenges, housing challenges, experiences with, you know, law enforcement. And it's, it comes back to being very deeply rooted in, you know, systemic and structural racism. It's almost like you can't separate it from that. Um, Dr. Andrea Welsing, who is uh, heads up the um, Office of Violence Prevention in Los Angeles County, gave a presentation, and this is almost 10 years ago, and it was the first time that I had ever heard someone say that violence is a public health crisis. And in some ways, I, I felt that the public health department was more talking about community violence and that we see the sort of street violence, gun violence, et cetera. But in listening to her over the years, you know, I know that it also very much includes 
domestic, family violence. And in our Black communities, the intersection of those three is rooted in the history of our presence in this country, 400 years of coming here in violence, having years of experience being enslaved people and experiencing that level of violence, and then post-slavery and those conditions that contribute to pain and angst in a society um, and pressures and stressors that that cause um, you know sort of a blow up to our hearts and our minds and our souls. Um, being in a situation of pressure obviously tends to result in, in something that's explosive. And so I look historically at the things that have brought us to this place. And then I look currently at what, what could change. It isn't just policy and, and interventions related to violence itself. It's a need for a full myriad of changes and interventions and investment and care in a, of communities. And I experienced um, violence you know, as a child in my family, and I watched that happen across our generations. So I saw it, you know, in my my parents and I saw it even with my grandparents. And I saw it with women as as the perpetrators. I saw it with the men in my family as the perpetrators. I saw the violence happening across siblings and between cousins. I mean I saw it in so many facets that for me it began to to make me really realize that there are these intersections that happen. You really can't distinguish them and separate them as easily as you might be able to in maybe more traditional society. So I think intergenerational approaches are absolutely necessary, particularly in a Black community, because you, can, you can't separate you know, that violence that is occurring across the lifespan. Of course. Vanessa, what about you, this idea of this intergenerational approach? And is this a health equity issue as well as a public health issue? Could you speak to that? Definitely. So when you look at people of color and black and brown communities, we are taught from our mothers who are taught from our grandmothers, right? And, and so forth, that what happens in our home stays in our home and it's nobody's business and we can't talk about it. And so our grandmothers are telling our mothers that this is our family, these are our husbands or, or whomever, and you got to stay with them and you got to be in it, right? And you don't tell anybody your business. So providing a safe space outside of the home where women can feel like they can come and really talk about it, it without being, being in fear of their life, right? Without fear of retaliation or further abuse, not only for them, but for their children. I can say as a child... Growing up in that, I was very little and my siblings, the, we all experienced it different. We all, it, it affected us all differently. Whereas, you know, I can speak for myself. It put a lot of fear into me. And I can remember my mother saying, just be quiet. Don't say anything because her idea was that if I was quiet, then he wouldn't target me. And so I think just being able to provide a safe space for women to be able to come out. And I think here from other women of color, like we have to come together and we have to break this idea that we're supposed to be silent and we're not supposed to say anything about it at all because we've all experienced it. So this is normal. This is just the way that men are or, you know, whatever it is that they've said. Right. And so when we can 
break that idea of thinking that this is normal and this happens to all of us. And so we just keep our business to ourselves. Then we can break that cycle happening in our children. And I know right now in this day, we're seeing a lot more children experiencing mental health, depression, suicide. And so the way that domestic violence maybe have affected my generation is going to be different on the generation after me. And I think it's great that in this day, we have become more comfortable and more open about addressing domestic violence and addressing violence in general and abuse as a whole. Just hearing from the experiences from the women that we serve and even from myself, we're also taught that therapy is not needed for us, right? You don't need to go to counseling or therapy because if you do, then that means you're, you know, you have severe mental health. And that's really not the case. Therapy and counseling is therapeutic. It's healthy. It's helpful in overcoming and in healing. But in communities of color, we don't experience it that way. If you have to go to counseling, that means you have issues. And so for us to share that and say, you know what? Counseling is okay. Counseling is great. And then pass that along from the mothers to the children, because we plug not only the moms into therapy, but the children as well, where they're getting therapy separately, but then also together as a family, because another thing that families don't do is they don't talk about their issues. And in my family growing up, if there was a fight or if there was an incident, it would happen. And the next day, no one talked about it. It was swept under the rug and we just moved on. And so here you have trauma being built up and built up. So when you become an adult, you don't know how to deal with confrontation. You don't know how to speak up for yourself. You don't know how to really lead your own life because you're still triggered by the trauma from your past. I'd like to get specific because this, yeah. all this is incredibly important. How do you, in both of your different lines of work, how do you help a family be able, or say, for example, let's say a woman in this case, you know, have the feeling of safety? And how do you bring the other families into that process? Who starts that process? When does that happen? What does that look like to actually create that safe space? Sonia, why don't we start with you around that? Sure. At uh, California Black Women's Health Project, our work is rooted in a sister circle model of engagement. Sister circles are an evidence-based practice and we use it as a community-defined practice of bringing Black women together. And we say to talk, to deal, to heal, to share, to care, to really address the things that are happening or have happened in our lives that contribute to trauma. And particularly where personal violence is concerned, we are able to open up spaces, you know, for safe spaces for our sisters to come together um, and to address these issues and to address them not only from an experiential um, place, but from an advocacy perspective, from a place of looking at how do I work as an activist and an advocate to support prevention of these types of experiences in our community and what we were able to do, um, because I participated in a fellows program called the Reimagine Lab, where I was able to work with several other individuals to begin looking at new and innovative ways to address this violence in our community. And I always, I told you, as I thought, talk, think about my brothers and how there was very little there to support them as we were growing up. I really began to think about in, a, in the Black community, we cannot address domestic violence from a women-only perspective. In our community, that violence is so complex and 
data shows that Black women disproportionately experience intimate partner violence, but it also shows that Black men disproportionately experience intimate partner violence. And so um, I was able to work with a group of other fellows and to really dig deep and to contemplate what would it look like to begin to look at an innovative approach. And that innovative approach really began to center the experiences of Black men and boys in intimate partner violence. And to say as a women's organization, Black women's organization, we can't do this without our men. We are so intricately connected in these experiences that the only way we're going to begin to address them is to do it together. So we created a program and we have created brother circles similar to our sister circles, which men had been asking us for decades, what about the brothers? When are we going to have a circle? And it has shown to be very similar in watching Black men. And I, I we only watch as, as observers. And we have watched men in these similar circles where they come together to talk, to deal, to heal, to share, and to care around the violence experiences in their lives. And I have seen amazing transformations. And it has resulted in men now going out. And the, and the boys, the young boys, have gone through these circles going out and then beginning to have open conversations with their family, with their friends, with their spheres of influence. And that really is is showing us that we're going to change the narrative on this. The training of Black men and boys to be advocates and activists around violence prevention, in my view, is innovative. It is, it is even revolutionary. And it is showing that Black men and boys are lifting up their voices. We see it because what we do is we invest in spaces and places where Black men and boys are already coming together. So that could be sports, that could be fraternities, barbers, we work with um, cowboys, any place or space where Black men are already actively involved. And so overlaying violence prevention and having real honest, heartfelt conversations about their own experiences, which which really 90% of them say they have never discussed this. So yes, so let's, you know, how do we move forward, Vanessa, to really talk to policy people in the field? What would you like to see happen from a policy perspective that's not happening, whether it's at the state level or the federal level? How do we move the ball forward? So Time for Change Foundation, not only do we provide direct services, but we also do advocacy, civic engagement, and we teach our women to be leaders. We teach them how to speak with elected officials and express their personal experiences as well as introduce bills. I think having those connections to elected officials and those relationships are one, but I think the implementation and the work on the ground is also just as important as getting the bills passed. And so we see that elected officials have this level of influence and they have them in their local districts. And so I think incorporating that partnership, not only in the process of turning a bill into a law or addressing uh, an issue, creating resolutions, but also continuing to back up the work that we're doing in the implementation process, because it's one thing to change a law, but when municipalities and the people on the ground receive those changes, are they really doing the implementation work to make sure that the the, the said law is actually having an effect on the ground and in the community. 
And that's where we really need to see that partnership follow through. So that way we can ensure that the work that we're doing to get these laws passed and changed and implemented is not only just one thing being done. It's not just a checkbox, but it's also, okay, now let's see it in action. Let's see it happen because that's, that's giving us the permission to change. But the work to actually change, it takes a lot more effort because people don't like change and you have to get used to stuff, right? And so if we can continue to partner together and ensuring that the implementation is being done and that the culture of how we operate and effectively impact our families and our communities is done in a cohesive way, then we can have that impact that we actually desire. Exactly. Well, I think that's really well stated because you need both aspects of this. So Sonia, you have a magic wand. You want some changes. You want some policy initiatives. What's your ask? What are you looking for? Top of mind for me on um, the need for policymakers to help to support prevention efforts in domestic and family and community violence really centers around investing in community-defined evidence practices. We call them CDEPs, Community Defined Evidence Practices. And it's because I believe that investing in those practices gives us an opportunity to use policy to, to expand you know, opportunities for communities to look more deeply you know, within their own cultures, their own spaces, and their own experiences, so that we are not having to just sort of build across the board or, you know, I call them mainstream policy changes. But this allows community organizations, it allows trusted messengers, it allows for innovations um, to happen that are culturally defined, that are rooted in our own experiences. And I often like to suggest that in Black communities, I mean, you know, especially Black women, we are attend and befriend kind of people. We look at ourselves, I believe, in a more collective advancement. You know, we, we move together. Group models of care, group models of experiences, I think, are very impactful. And so the opportunity for a policymaker to develop legislation that invests more deeply in community practices. And so even in areas of violence prevention and domestic family and community violence, I think it's important for policymakers to invest in in community solutions. Together, we can continue to not only bring awareness, but bring solutions. And that's what we're doing. We're providing solutions that help heal families, make them whole, and help them to become thriving. We're breaking generational curses of violence. And so we're doing this together and it takes a village and it really is going to continue to need all of us working together to really bring these solutions and end violence for our families and our communities. I want to talk a little bit about what multi-generational prevention looks like. I want to play a clip from a mother who participates in programming with the East LA Women's Center with her three children. Here's what she had to say. I've learned coping skills with my kids and how to be more patient with them, try to understand what they're going through as kids and growing into preteen and teenage years. I've learned how to deal with myself and the patients that the breathing techniques they've showed me, the counting techniques to sit back and think and relax before you react to a behavior and uh, to communicate with our kids. I would say that this is why families need our help. 
there are tangible solutions that we can provide to families that are impactful and that actually work. And this mother, she didn't have those skills before. She didn't have those coping skills. But now that she does, she's able to change the trajectory in her lineage to more open conversations and to more therapeutic responses to emotions, to anger, to violence. And in doing so, she's providing a healthy, productive way for her family to grow together. We're providing mothers the opportunity to change the course of their lives and their children's lives. And now children can grow up with the tools that they need, that they don't learn from school, that that are not just originally taught to them. And they're able to use these skills in life and actually be successful. Is there any more that needs to be said than that? <laughs> well, Vanessa, that was very beautiful. That was very beautiful. To hear a mother talking about how she feels empowered and how she feels equipped to help support her children in dealing with an issue that has happened in their lives is so powerful. It feels so enriching. And to know that she learned that in a program um, is, is what this work is all about. I mean, we are changing lives. We are changing lives for the next generation. And I'm so proud to be a part of this work. It just means everything to me. To find out more about this episode and what actions you can take to help prevent domestic violence and listen to the other episodes in this series, visit letsendv.org.